We are in our sermon series, Acts. Uh, traditionally, you know the book Acts as Acts of the Apostles, but a more uh, correct name would be Acts of Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And uh, our first uh, sermon series in the book of Acts is in Jerusalem. But you may notice, if you look closely at this map, along with the Bible, is that that's not a map of Jerusalem. Where is that? Well, it's going to be up every week. You can figure it out. But let's just put it this way. Where is your Jerusalem? Where are you called to act for the sake of the gospel and your relationship with Jesus Christ? So we're in Acts in Jerusalem. And uh, today we're going to talk about the fellowship. We're in Acts chapter 2. Last week we heard about the coming of the Holy Spirit. And with the coming of the Holy Spirit, all the apostles begin to speak in languages of people that live um, uh, um, uh, all over the world. Uh, but they're speaking in personal languages, the language of just the people in their home. I don't know about you, but I'm from America. And when I meet people who are from other parts of the world where nine or ten languages are the norm, I think to myself, man, I am dumb. D-U-M, dumb. Um, <laughs> Because I only know one language and not very well. Uh, but most people around the world and uh, during the time of, of the Bible being written spoke multiple languages because that's how they could interact with people around them. And many of them had a home language. My family, when my great-grandparents came here from Norway, they spoke Norwegian in the home. But in public, you spoke English. Um, that's how it was in the ancient world and how it is in many parts of the world today. You have your own personal family language, but then you have the public languages. During Jesus' time, the public language was um, most likely uh, Greek because that was the language of the marketplace. You, you bought and sold in Greek. Uh, uh, and the language of the, the ruling class, the, the Romans, was Latin. So those are the public languages, but then you had the personal languages uh, that were used in your, own, in your own home. When the Holy Spirit comes and the people begin to speak in different languages, they're amazed and they gather together in Jerusalem on Pentecost and Peter begins to preach. And what he's preaching is basically um, what it means to be part of the fellowship. Now when you look at the fellowship... And even the way I just used it right now, you may give me different definitions of what that means. Some of you will call it a noun, some of you will call it a verb, and it's one of those great words that means both. But it has multiple meanings, and I'm going to share with you three meanings today. When I think of fellowship, the first thing that comes to my mind, because I'm very movie-oriented in how I think, is I think of this. Yeah. Mr. Frodo's not going anywhere without me. No, indeed, it is hardly possible to separate you even when he is summoned to a secret council, and you are not. Oi! We're coming too! I have to send us all tied up in a sack to stop us. Anyway, you need people of intelligence on this sort of mission. Quest. Thank you. Well, that rules you out. So be it. You shall be the Fellowship of the Ring. Right. Where are we going? 
Maybe you know that movie, maybe you don't. This is from The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring. And here you have uh, basically the comic relief. The character on the right is named Pippin. And when the fellowship is being formed for this important mission to save the world, these guys come running in saying, wait, we want to go too, we want to go too. And Pippin speaks up and says, you really need people of intelligence for this mission quest thing because he's not really sure what to call it and maybe that's how we feel too because when we talk about the fellowship what we're really talking about is what does it mean to be the church because Pentecost is the birth of the church and it's important for us to understand in 21st century Fargo that we have more in common with first century Jerusalem Then we do with 20th century Fargo. I'll say that again. Atonement Lutheran Church in 2023 has more in common with the first century church than you do with Atonement Lutheran Church in 1999. And so it's important to understand what is happening in the book of Acts because it speaks to who we are today. And what we're going to learn today when we talk about fellowship is what does it mean to be the church. At the end, Pippin says, great, where are we going? As the church, we have a mission that God has given, and God has given us a purpose, and knowing where we're going is important for us to be able to fellowship with one another, and to be who God created us to be. If you look up the word fellowship in the dictionary, this is the explanation that it gives. The fellowship, a fellowship is a community of interest, activity, feeling, or experience. So it's a group of people gathered around common interests, activities, what we think, what we feel. It's people coming together. It's a company of equals, or friends, so it's people gathered around um, something that that is of utmost importance to them, and it's a gathering of equals. Now, this is true in the church. Now, you have in this church individuals that you have called to a specific purpose and given a specific set of responsibilities. These are your pastors, Pastor Becky, Pastor Mark, Pastor DJ. We are not set above you. We are set aside for specific responsibilities. And these responsibilities are to call you out on your stuff. Maybe you didn't know we were supposed to do that, did you? If you don't like the things that we say. Call you out on your stuff in order to announce to you the gospel of Jesus Christ and the forgiveness of all of your sins on account of Jesus Christ. This is what is known as the law and the gospel, proclaiming law and gospel. And all the things that we do are in those specific responsibilities that you, the people of God, have called us to by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why when you call a pastor, you don't, you don't hire them, you call them. Because you discern in the process Does the Holy Spirit need this person to be in our midst? And then we're going to put them in a place, not above us, but at a place of preaching in order to call us out and to forgive us. 
You also have people that you have commissioned. This is your staff to be leaders within specific ministries and to keep us on task for our mission so that we know where we're going. Finally, a fellowship is an association. You freely associate. I don't think any of you are being forced to be here today. That's the beauty of the church. Maybe if you're children, your parents said you need to be here today. That's going to happen until you leave the house. Uh, But no one here is forced to be a part of this association. We freely associate because of the good news that we have here. Now, to get more specific, what is Christian fellowship? I found this explanation this week that I thought was brilliant. So this is what we're going to talk about through the rest of the message. What is Christian fellowship? The church? It's where you find telling, doing, being, and celebrating in Christ. So let's start with telling in Christ. None of you would be here unless someone told you about Jesus. Now, some of you have gone to church your entire life. You're like me. In fact, most Christians throughout the world have known Jesus like Nora. Even before we could speak and we were super cute, God called us by name. And so for many of us, that's our witness. That's our, that's our story that we can point to. We've grown up in the church. And we might think it's boring because we don't have some amazing uh, conversion experience. But I got to tell you, I know people that came to faith, followed Jesus 20, in their 20s, in their 30s, in their 40s, and later, and all of them had the same regret. I wish someone would have told me about Jesus sooner. I've been living this way without Jesus, and it's no way to live. You, if you're like Nora, were called into the faith early because your parents raised you up. And that is a beautiful and amazing witness to give that those who don't know Jesus are blown away by. In the scriptures, we hear this announcement by Peter through the Holy Spirit. He says, and there's... there's, People gathered all around the disciples and he says, let all the house of Israel therefore therefore know for certain that God has made him, that's Jesus, both Lord and Christ. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus whom you crucified. This verse is incredibly important because when you read it, it has a way of calling you out on your stuff. This is the first part of the preaching that you call pastors to do in your midst. This is not talking to the Jews. The Jews did not kill Jesus. This is not talking to the Romans. The Romans did not kill Jesus. This is talking to you right here, right now, in your seat. And this is how Peter preaches. This is calling people out on their stuff. Because the cross, if it is to have any significance whatsoever, we need to understand that it is the final judgment of the world. God, Emmanuel with us, has come in the flesh. The world would not have it, and so the world rejects him. And so the cross renames your sin. Forget about all the little sins, all the things that you're like, well, I'm not a very good person. I sin every once in a while, but I'm better than that guy. All of it is given a new name at the cross, and this is the name of your sin. You killed Christ. You are personally responsible. You are personally implicated. You are caught in the act. You are part of the rebellion. If you have turned away from God in thought, word, and deed, 
for a minute in your entire life, you are part of the rebellion and all of the world's sins are named at the cross. They're the final judgment and God's judgment is this on the world. You killed Christ. Being part of the world, you are caught up in it. When that hits home, this is the result. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? When you go from being, well, I've sinned every once in a while, to actually understanding and recognizing that you are a sinner, this is the only response that makes sense. I grew up in the church. I grew up confessing Jesus and asking for the, my sins to be forgiven every week. We were, we were very traditional. So we would say, and, you know, you have sinned against God and thought, word and deed, by what I have done and by what I have not undone. I have not loved you with my whole heart, soul, mind, and spirit. We would confess that every Sunday. But it wasn't until my second year in seminary, I was in my 20s, when I was sitting in a class called Jesus the Savior, we were learning about why the cross was necessary. Because this was the class that I had driving me into seminary. I needed to know why did Jesus have to die? It didn't make sense to me up here. Because my thinking was, if I've accepted Jesus as my savior, why, why did he have to die? Why can't I just believe in him? Why, why can't I just keep the 10 commandments? In that class, the teacher was teaching us about the cross and these are the words that he said to all of us. He said, understand that the cross is your judgment, and you killed Christ. There's about 40 people in that room. I thought he was speaking just to me. Everyone else melted away, and I was cut to the heart. And the only thought I had was, oh man, what am I going to do? When you are cut to the heart and you realize that you're a sinner, suddenly the gospel becomes good news. And that leads us to the next part, the doing in Christ. When you're cut to the heart, what shall I do? This is the beginning of what Peter calls repentance. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is what we do every Sunday, folks. We never move beyond this. When we are told about Christ, The next step is the doing of Christ. When Christ breaks in on us through the word, then we end up getting into an entire life of repentance. Martin Luther said in his first of the 95 theses, when the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ called us to repent, he called for an entire life of repentance. This is what we do every time we come together in fellowship, in worship. We repent. Because we're using our baptism Today, Nora has been given a gift that she will use her entire life long, and you are all witnesses to it. For whenever the devil throws her sins in her face, she can throw Jesus in her face, because this day she was baptized in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. When God looks at Nora, just as he looks at you who are baptized, he does not see a sinner, but he sees his Son, in whom he is well pleased, because you are baptized in his name. And what do you receive because of that? The forgiveness of all of your sins. Whenever you ask for forgiveness, your baptism is your seal that God forgives you. Every single time. And as the small catechism taught us, we should use our baptism every single day. By drowning the old sinner, 
through repentance and the waters of our baptism and clinging to faith to the promise of the forgiveness of sins. Now, what makes this possible? The gift of the Holy Spirit. Because it's the Holy Spirit who calls you into the faith, gathers us as God's people in fellowship, enlightens us through the scriptures and the word of God in order to be made holy. That begins now through faith and will continue to eternity by sight. It's an entirely new thing. It is liberation from sin, death, and the devil. It is new life that begins now and goes on. And this is for everyone, but it's especially for you. Listen to scripture St. Peter says, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all. Everyone, everyone who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. What is this promise? This promise that is for you and for your children and for those who are far off. What is the promise? Acts 1.8, it says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, And in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What is the power you receive in the Holy Spirit? The the inward sign, as the outward sign is baptism, the inward sign is faith. You, a sinner, now have faith in Jesus Christ. That's an impossibility. That's the power of the Holy Spirit. It's new life that begins now and continues through eternity. It's, It's new life in the midst of suffering that you have. And it's the power to change the world. The word power, remember, means dynamite. You have the power to change the world through your witness. It's the promise that God gives that includes with it a a purpose. So you have meaning. You have direction. You have a place to go through your witness. And make no mistake, you are absolutely essential. You are absolutely essential to the gospel because Jesus has claimed it so. Because you believe in him, you are his witness, whatever your witness may be. And it is essential because through your witness, lives are being transformed. Those under the subjugation of sin, death, and the devil are given liberation to follow Jesus into eternal life. A new life that begins now and goes on forever. And with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. Not just save yourselves, but be saved, is what he's saying, literally. Now, what is the witness? Well, it is everything that we talked about through the fall. It's about power-up. And through the rest of this scripture, the early church shows us that power-up is not something we just made out out of whole cloth. It is what the church looks like in its fellowship together. It's what fellowship looks like, and it's the witness by which others come to know Jesus Christ. This word exhort is the first of the seven that we're going to hear about. Exhort is a synonym for encourage, which is a synonym for uplift, the you in power up. That as we encourage faith in others, we are being a witness to Jesus Christ. Now, from the telling comes the doing, which leads to the being, Who we are going forward. This isn't a one-time thing. This is an entire life thing. It's why we need to be in fellowship. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Pay close attention to Acts 2.42. We're going to see power-up show up a lot here. The first one is devoted. That is the E in power-up. It means to endure. This isn't a one-time thing. You weren't saved on such and such a day. Nora wasn't saved on, uh, what is today? December 17, 2023, she is saved now and forever. It never 
moves beyond the present because it is a gift. We look hope, we've hope for the future, but it's not as if her salvation is going to run out. It is continuing, and she lives in a continuing. Just as we live in faith to Jesus Christ, we spend the rest of our lives from the moment he tackles us getting used to the fact that we have a Savior. So this isn't a sprint. This is a marathon. This is an entire lifelong of salvation and a witness to that. Goes on, but he also talks about they devoted themselves to what? The apostles' teaching. This is the R in power up for read. If you want to get to know Jesus, get to know your Bible. If you want to be in God's word and, in, in, and know what it means to live as a child of God, be reading your Bible. If you're not reading today, start today. Just a little bit every day. As the Holy Spirit leads you, you can read long chunks at certain times, but at the very least, read a little bit every day. They uh, uh, devoted themselves to the teaching and the fellowship. Here's the third explanation of the word fellowship. It's the Greek word koinonia. It's what fellowship means in Scripture. It translates, Dietrich Bonhoeffer translated it as uh, his famous book, Life Together. But it means sharing in common participation or giving a willing gift. You want to do it. It's not a have to. You want to be in fellowship. This is the O in power up. Because the moment Jesus tackles you, everything after that is your offering. It is your time, your talents, your treasure. It's your life. It's everything. Everything is your offering after Jesus tackles you. To the breaking of bread and the prayers. The breaking of bread, we're going to do that today through the sacrament of holy baptism. But it's not limited to just worship. The breaking of bread is, was incredibly important in the ancient world, even more so today, because they're not as healthy as we are. Breaking of bread was a big deal because sometimes you wouldn't have any bread to eat. But the fellowship made sure that everyone in the fellowship had bread, had, had their daily bread to eat every day. And so they would meet in homes and fellowship together and celebrate together. That's the second P in Power Up. That's provide. This is what we're going to do in January. Feed my starving children. The fellowship is going to feed as many as we can, as far as the eye can see, so that no one would be hungry. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, and the prayers. Prayer is the lifeblood of any Christian because you can be in daily, moment-by-moment communication with God. And God does speak to you. Maybe not in words, but when we begin praying and live in prayer, we begin to see God acting, the Holy Spirit working in our midst. I can't see wind, but I can sure feel wind, and I can experience wind moving. I can hear the sound of it. That's how it is when we begin praying. God begins answering. So we live in prayer. That's the first P in power up, pray. So we have telling, we have doing, we have being, and that all leads us, one leads to the next, that leads us to be able to celebrate. You cannot celebrate Christ without the first three, telling, doing, and being. And this is what it says in 46 through 47. It says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, worshiping publicly and privately, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. That word praise is a neat one because it's a synonym for the word celebrate. And that is what we're doing today. Public 
worship, gathering together and doing the things, being the things, hearing the telling and receiving the goodness and celebrating God. All of it comes together when we worship together. This is when we are publicly being fellowship and your witness is being sent out to the world. What is the result of all of this? What is the goal to tell us why do this? And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. You are a witness of what God is doing in the world and you are absolutely essential and necessary because it's through your witness that God is adding more to the kingdom every single day. And it is absolutely essential for any person because without Jesus Christ in a relationship with him, we are still sinners lost in our sins. We are still condemned by the cross that you killed Christ. But in Jesus Christ and through faith in him, because of your witness, lives are being changed. People are being transformed. Who is God putting on your heart this day to invite into the faith, to uplift, to encourage, to provide for, to include in the life that you have, the life together, the fellowship? It's the Holy Spirit who's putting that person's name on your heart. And so I encourage you, be a witness to them. Share Jesus with them. Because the promise is for you, it's for your children, and it is for all who hear your witness and by the Holy Spirit trust in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord. And so hear the promise of the gospel, the promise that makes the fellowship. Jesus Christ, Son of God, died for you, a sinner like you. And all of your sins are forgiven in his name. Amen.